did we mention that this was the most attended yes. women's tournament? We did. I didn't know. I couldn't remember. I if thought we you did. That or not. Well, three hundred fifty thousand. In case we didn't throw the number out, total attendance for this tournament was over three hundred fifty thousand, the most ever. So it's pretty incredible. You know, we've only been taping for 20 plus minutes and we can't remember what we said 20 minutes ago. <laughs> well, well, you said us old guys. I mean, you pretty sure summed that up. <laughs> should, we, should we even release podcasts to the public? <laughs> it's time for the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. Coming at you every week to talk all the things that make us love sports, the games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. We are stoked that you are listening. Uh, We believe that you're more than listeners. Uh, To quote Brian Kelly, you're family, and we're glad that you're listening to us. Absolutely. Welcome, friends, to the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. We are still catching our breath after a thrilling weekend of hoops with the men's final four championship game going on right now as we're recording this show to the the women's final four, a tremendous weekend. If you love basketball, then you you had to love this weekend. Your, Your team may not have won, but what a great weekend of basketball and what a great sight to see so much support for the sport all around the country. And we're going to get into that just a moment, but we're starting with the women's championship game where the LSU Tigers defeated the Iowa Hawkeyes in in the highest scoring championship game ever, 102 to 85, just a flurry of points that I don't think any of us really expected to see. No, no, I agree. You didn't didn't really know what was going to come to be, uh, even though you knew there was the possibility, I guess, of, of a high-scoring game because of Caitlin Clark and the records that she was setting. Like you said, it was even more than we expected. I, I don't know that anybody, I think we could have talked about it for a solid couple of hours and never come to the conclusion that there was going to be a 100 points scored by one of the teams involved. I mean, that was really incredible. No doubt about it, and, and that's that's great. That's a great point, Darren. And and we're also joined. Uh, I forgot to mention by the Villanova guys. So welcome back for yet another episode. Thank you. And uh, you know, at some point, like I can't sponsor the show anymore. Y'all are gonna have to sponsor me. <laughs> <laughs> next next year, you're gonna have to come out with a new uh, animal shape for the ice pop koozie <laughs> to keep to. this thing going. That's. A- <laughs> Well, back to your point, Darren. Uh, For example, you talk about the shooting. LSU shot 75% from three-point range in the first half. Unreal. Unreal. Including a monster game from Jasmine Carson coming off the bench, and there's nobody. If somebody told you I saw that coming, they need to go to church and repent because nobody saw that coming. That's right. What a great story. Carson, the senior transfer from West Virginia, um, She's been pretty much non-existent throughout the tournament. And she, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm getting these numbers correctly, uh, she was averaging two points a game uh, for the entire season and had not scored in the previous three tournament games. And then comes out of nowhere and was was seven for seven from three. Is that correct? And had a total of, like you said, what was it, 22 points? And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and to be seven of seven. I mean, you're talking about a big stage. That is the moment when... If you have not played the way you would prefer to play for the entire tournament, then 
than that big of a stage, it, it, it kind of goes in the dumps is what you would anticipate. But to, to not score in three straight games and then say, oh, I'll just go seven for seven from three in the biggest stage of my of my career. I'm good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty incredible. And I think yep. both sidelines were surprised. The LSU sideline was surprised. The Iowa sideline was surprised. Like, what what's happening here? Yeah. Uh, but but tremendous output from her. Of course, uh, another great game by Caitlin Clark, uh, as you mentioned, Darren. Um, she's the best player in, in women's college basketball. I think what happened to her in this game was um, I think it's hard when you're coming off a game like the South Carolina game yeah, where that was such a tremendous effort by Iowa to knock off the defending champs. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. You get a day of rest and then you're back at it again. And uh, I think that may have caught up a little bit with, with Caitlin Clark, but I, um, I also want to give credit to – I. I think if I was voting and nobody gives me a vote, we're not that big of a podcast yet. <laughs> but for me, the MVP was Alexis Morris, the the point guard for LSU. I mean, Completely not only agree. did she have the task of guarding Caitlin Clark, which, you know, you're not going to stop her. And uh, I, I think Malky mm-hmm. had a great game plan. They, they wanted all of Caitlin Clark's points to be from three-point range. They didn't want her to get those layups. That's how she was killing teams throughout the tournament. I think she only had one field goal inside a three-point range. So a good strategy. Right. But Alexis Morris had had that that task of guarding Caitlin Clark. And then she pretty much put the game uh, on wraps for LSU in the second half. Yep. And she stepped up and, and made some big shots uh, down the stretch. Uh, but one of the, the talking points, and I want to hear from both of you on this uh, throughout this game, is the officiating. It set a NCAA champ well, not a championship game record. Did it set a record? 37 personal fouls. Yep. Uh, in the first half, there were eight players. This is both teams with two or more fouls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed like every time you turned around, and, and you couldn't say, well, this team's benefiting from it more than you, because the officiating right. was just flat out bad on both mm-hmm. sides. What? Absolutely. So, wh- Absolutely. What what did you guys think about that? Well well the first thing I'll say is is if you watch that game, you can't you can't argue the point that the officiating was bad. It was atrocious. Uh and but also at the same time, if you're an Iowa fan, you can't make the claim that it cost you the game. Because if you get beat by 17, the the referees don't have anything to do to do with that. So so you can't make that claim. At the same time, though, I, I think it had a pretty a very dramatic effect on the, in the first half but on both teams. Caitlin Clark on the bench uh, with with three fouls, and uh, Angel Reese was on the bench. I mean, but the final almost ten minutes of the first half, she didn't even play because she was sitting on the bench with two fouls. And then at, at, in the second half, it, it was like. It was almost like, okay, that wasn't enough fun. We didn't insert ourselves into the game enough during the first half. We're really going to ramp it up during the second half. And, and if you look at time played versus fouls called in a championship game, the most watched championship game in women's basketball history, these referees blew the whistle every 63.16 seconds. Hmm. That is ridiculous. Now, to give benefit of the doubt, 
Could it be that they decided that they didn't want to be the story of the game, so they were going to call it completely by the book? You know, is there something? I, I hope for their sake they didn't just want to be the show. Uh, because if you're blowing the whistle every 63 seconds, that's really a, what it kind of appears that you've decided you want to be the show. Uh, and I'm, I don't care what game it is. I'm never going to be a fan of that. It's unnecessary and it, and it ruins games. Uh, thankfully, both of these teams were so good because, you know, a game where, where the whistle is blown just about once a minute. Those very quickly can turn into games like the, the Tennessee Auburn game during the season, where first one to forty wins. You know, there's no flow, there's no offense, everything is just a, a rock fight. And these teams are both so good that we still ended up with the high scoring game in history. So that's that says something about the teams. But but I just I am never on okay, okay with any game on any platform that referees are blowing the whistle once a minute. That's just ridiculous and, and, and shouldn't be a part of, of any game, much less a game on, on this level. And didn't, you know, I don't, I think I heard this correctly that this was the first women's final that had an all female officiating crew. Oh, I, that, that could be correct. I don't know the answer to that, honestly. And so if that's the case, like, did they um, overlook some people who might've been more qualified to call a game? to call a game of this magnitude um, in order to, to get the, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's not a question we can answer, but you know, I didn't hear anything about that after the game, but I, right. I, thought I remembered hearing it before the game. Uh, and it was, yeah, just like y'all said, it's bad. Yeah. Um, the technical foul uh, on, oh, on Caitlin Clark, you know, the, the, the explanation afterward, I thought at least they, they were they were keeping up and saying, well, we did issue a warning, and this mm-hmm. was, but you know she didn't she didn't she didn't loft the ball into the seventh row. Exactly. Yeah. She she just put it out of bounds. Um, yeah. It was it was a little too little too much. Yeah, I, I agree. That was a, I thought that was a little over the top calling technical yeah. on that. Um, but. Uh, and, and you know, I think what you said, Rusty, kind of goes back to maybe this us to, us to, does all kind of fit, uh, you, you know, with this crew. Maybe it was a thing where, where they didn't want to be the show, but they really wanted to, to, to show control of the game, not let it get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe that's something that, that from, from a league official point of view, maybe that's something that they were talked to about before the game. And they certainly didn't do that, but you know, even the even the explanation to the the the, the technical on Caitlin Clark, you're right. At least it showed a thought process, but to me, it was still a ridiculous thought process. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a game that at the end of the game, 180 combined, almost 190 combined points have have been scored. That game has some flow to it, and is not slow. If there's a hundred and ninety, you you're not worried about a delay a game. Nobody's slowing the game down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the, that was a truly frustrating thing to watch to, to a player. I don't care which team it was on, for a player that has that kind of an impact on the game, to pick up their fourth personal and a technical, because they. Threw the ball out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Just it, it. It was very silly to me. I, I was not a fan at all. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, you know, 
as, as a player, I always wanted to beat a team at full strength. I didn't want them to mm-hmm. have their star player on the bench with a foul or an injury or anything like that. Uh, I think the competitors, you know, I think that from that standpoint, we wanted to see we wanted to see the stars on the floor. But right. then you flip that around, and then you don't have the Jasmine Carson story. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, that's a great point. Well, I tell you what, from an LSU perspective, Jasmine Carson and um, Alexis Morris, they don't have the kind of games they, the kind of first halves they had. It's a dramatically different game mm-hmm. uh, for LSU. And honestly, I would assume Angel Reese doesn't stay out that, that full 10 minutes. I mean, it was yeah. it was easy to let her sit on the bench, save the rest of her fouls, come into the second half fresh, because those two were just lighting it up. I mean, everything that needed to be done, they were doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, you, Darren, you mentioned uh, the uh, the viewership record, watching uh, the attendance record. Just a, a great weekend for women's college mm-hmm. basketball, mm-hmm. and we witnessed history as well. And that is with Coach Kim Mulkey for LSU winning her fourth national championship as a coach. Mm-hmm. She, she won at Louisiana Tech as a player. She won a gold medal playing for Pat Summit for the USA Women's Olympic team. And now as a coach, three with Baylor, now one with LSU. What does this say about where Kim Mulkey is among college basketball coaches of all time? Well, honestly, from my perspective, regardless of the numbers, when you have hit any tier of your profession where you are mentioned in conversation with names like, like him or not, Gino Ariyama, and, and and especially Pat Summit, that says everything that needs to be said. You are hitting an elite level in what you do. Uh, because that's if uh, oh and by the way she's now being mentioned with list you know list those names okay then you are accomplishing something I mean there's just you can't dispute it and and an interesting little side note I believe they said on the uh, broadcast that she had also won a championship as an assistant coach is that correct when I she was an assistant so. coach at Louisiana mm-hmm. Tech when she yes. first started coaching. So so that's pretty cool. To Even though she was an assistant coach, she's been a part of the national championship as a coach at three different schools. That's a, that's a neat thing as well. Mm-hmm. She's got to be the most decorated woman in college basketball history, huh? I mean, on every level. Yeah. Just, just an incredible career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, the only thing she's got left to do is to catch um, – Pat Summit with the total amount, but you know Pat Summit, all of hers were at one school, so yeah. there's still that there's that layer or, or that level of it as well that she's now done it at two different schools, which is, and I mean goodness gracious, it, regardless of decoration, when you look at the fact that she took over a nine win mm-hmm. team, yeah. <laughs> and two years later has a national championship, man, that's incredible. Yep. Yeah, she played under the legendary Leon Barmore at mm. Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember uh, us old guys in in this group here. <laughs> uh, we remember those early in the early '80s. It was Louisiana Tech and Tennessee. They, they were kind of the powers in women's college basketball. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I'm not from Tennessee, but I've always seen Pat Summit as kind of the the ultimate in in women's college coaching. But Rusty, you Absolutely. pointed out that that. 
as far as the whole package as a player winning championships that, you know, I don't know if Kim Mulkey has a peer right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a I great point. There was something going around about her when she was in high school. She was, a, she was selected to the AAU, well, not the AAU, excuse me, to the Dixie baseball team all-star game. <laughs> no and kidding. She, they didn't no. let her play because she was a female. <laughs> And like, she probably would have. She probably would have been the all star. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, how 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 is she possible? Yeah, like how is great, she yeah. possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a it's an incredible story, and it's not over. I, I love mm-hmm. the fact that she's just Louisiana through and through. And yep. you know, me and my family, we we've we've kind of been adopted by we've adopted Louisiana. We love this state, Rusty. You 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 born and raised here, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just you through and through, right? Rusty? <laughs> oh yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> Darren, you ruined the moment. We were going somewhere. Okay, my apologies. My apologies. But you know the fact that in the post game she says this is for all the folks in Louisiana, and yeah. it, it I, I look at that and I'm like, you know, Coach Kim Mulkey is everything that coach O dreamed of being and was never able to, re- to reach that, that standard. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um, what a, what a great story for, uh, for Kim Mulkey, for the top, for the entire state of Louisiana and Rusty, you have the distinction now of being the only guest we ever had on the podcast who has a former student who's won a national championship That's as a right. player. That's well, and right. I, I'm just happy that uh, I could have contributed to this, in some way yeah. to yeah. this national championship. And it's, the, it's my pleasure. The days y'all spend in history class working on layup technique, right? That's right, that's right. <laughs> Diagramming plays. <laughs> uh, like I said before, Emily is a, she is a great person. Uh, she is a, she's a, a dedicated student. She's like, she's, she's just great. I'm happy. I'm just, just happy as I can be for her. Uh, she deserves it from all the hard work she put in earning a captain's uh, title uh, as she started as a walk on uh, mm-hmm. just like she's, she's just, just, just great. I'm just so happy for her. Yeah. I, I don't know if anybody got more excited after wins than Emily. Mm-hmm. If, you, if yeah. you watched her after a win, she just celebrated and, and there's this joy. So, Yep. And you could see even yesterday in the animation that she had after the game. I mean, it, it came through. I mean, you're talking about getting some camera time. Goodness gracious. How many pictures have you seen of the team? And she's like front and center just because she's so animated. And you could see kind of that pure joy of it, that, you know, whether it be um, a short video clip or like a, a headline. And you see that she seems to be kind of right in the center of it. You could just see yep. that that authentic kind of joy is coming through in it. Mm-hmm. And she's she's got a big smile, and that smile is always coming yeah. through <laughs> through the TV very well. Uh, yes, she, she, yes, she shows up very well. What a, what another another great story! So big things for women's college basketball. I hope it continues to grow. I love mm-hmm. the fact that stadiums are being packed and people are, are supporting uh, the women's game, and 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 I think that's going to continue in the years to come. Did we mention that this was the most attended? Yes. Women's tournament. We did. I didn't know. I couldn't remember. I thought if you did that or not. Uh, it was well three hundred fifty thousand. In case we didn't throw the number out, total attendance for this tournament was over three hundred fifty thousand, the most ever. So it's pretty incredible. 
You know, we've only been taping for 20 plus minutes and we can't remember what we said 20 minutes ago. <laughs> well, well, you said us old guys. I mean, you pretty sure you remember some that. Up. <laughs> should we should we even release podcasts to the public? <laughs> Well, that's why we record, so we can know what we said. <laughs> well, moving over to the men's side, this is Jim Nance's, the iconic announcer, the voice that many people have described him as, his final, final four. That sounded a little redundant. His last final four. How's that? There you go. His first one was in 1991. He's been a, a fixture in the men's game. And uh, even though he's not retiring from sports announcing, uh, he is stepping away from basketball and, and guys, uh, I'm going to miss his voice. I think he does a great job. Totally agree. Agree completely. I, Mm -hmm. what he brings to a game and not only through his voice, but just the way he tells the story, but even though you are talking about something people are watching, there's still a story to be told mm. about what's unfolding in front of our eyes and a perspective that you can bring as an announcer. And, and, and this might sound like the old guy in the room, but I think sometimes in today's broadcasting, that's lost a little bit, but not with Jim Nance. Man, that dude makes the story unfold right in front of you. It's, it's awesome to watch anything he does. And his voice is so soothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Just just uh, great to hear him. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we go into uh, the discussion of the men's championship game, let's pause for this week in sports history. April 6, 1938, the first modern Summer Olympic Games opened in Athens, Greece. The games are intended to model the original game, which dated back to 776 BC, where competition was honored above winning. The event attracted 250 male athletes from 14 nations. The competition spanned across 43 events in 9 different sports. The winners of each event were awarded a silver medal, an olive branch, and a diploma. These were awarded during the closing ceremony rather than at the conclusion of the individual event as it is today. America was the only non-European country to participate in the Games, and American athlete James Connolly became the first modern Olympic champion winning the triple jump. Oh, thank you. We have a new champion in the men's college basketball world, and that is the Yukon Huskies claiming their fifth national title in school history. Congratulations to Dan Hurley and his team on what was just frankly a dominant run through the tournament. And I'll start with you, Rusty, as, a, as the Villanova guy. You love the Big East. Uh, how does this Yukon run compare to, to what you've seen from other teams in the Big East? Uh, that have have run through the tournament and, and and won championships. So in in 2018, I think you know Villanova had maybe the best team that they have ever had, and went through and won. I think they 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 didn't win every game by double digits, but they ended up their average margin of victory was like 11 or 12. 
but I mean, UConn's just, I mean, they've, they've, they've definitely bested that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've, how do you, like, how do you, how do you come through like as a, as a four seed and just run through the, the tournament like this? Yeah. It's, 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 they've done something really impressive here. And I feel like UConn has been, has quietly compiled five championships now in the last 24 years, the last quarter of a decade. Uh, and, and why they're not mentioned in the blue blood conversations. I'll, I, I just can't figure that out. Uh, they, they've made all the blue bloods look silly this year, to be honest. And, and you know, when, when you get to the point where you've got five national championships and, and, and this is in recent history, you know, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, we're not talking about, you know, schools that we have that 1921 championship banner, you, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. I, I don't, I agree with you. I think that's a great point that, that I hadn't honestly thought of. I, it doesn't really make sense that they're not mentioned in, in those circles uh, because, I mean, you've got a strong program that even in in non-championship years, for the most part, I mean, they've had some pretty ugly runs, you know, over a couple of years here and there. But mm-hmm. but for the most part, they bring a strong team to the table every single time or, you know, every single season. They play in a tough conference. I mean, maybe it is the time that they start kind of being a part of that conversation a little bit. Yeah, I think you have to put them up there. Uh, five national titles. Uh, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah, right. And I tell you what, this one may be the one that really does because, it, Rusty, just like you said, they didn't just come in and win this tournament. They didn't just come in and, and sneak into this championship. They have showed to every single team they've played, we are for real. Mm-hmm. We are a team that you cannot beat, and we're going to show you that. And and they have, uh, obviously, even in, including uh, the championship game. Yeah, and when we look at uh, a team win like this, we have to go back and look at the guys that helped pave the way for them to get here. And of course, you know Jim Calhoun. What what a terrific coach he he, mm-hmm. he was at UConn and, and the terrific job that he did while while he was there and, and and now you know because of what guys did before you know you, Rusty you could make the same case with what Jay Wright did you go back to what Raleigh Massimino did you know we always have guys who come before us that help pave the way and we build upon that and it's and I think that's a, a beautiful thing that we see um, all throughout the sports world. Absolutely. Yeah, and and that's a cool thing that you can see just like you said if if you even with the blue bloods even you know when you look at uh their histories you can see kind of where things begin and where, where they built to and and it really is no matter the sport it really is a fun thing to kind of look at and examine when when teams start to build uh, those those championship legacies uh, you know not just a championship year or a couple of championship years but those championship legacies uh, that really is a, a fun thing to look at with teams mm-hmm. kind of like Vanderbilt women's bowling you, you know I mean the, you can say that about them that's we, exactly what the, the that was the exact <laughs> uh, reference that I was thinking of I think we're gonna be the well, only podcast that mentions Vanderbilt's women's bowling 
Ever. Well, well, since since y'all brought up Vanderbilt, they are nine and zero in this conference in baseball. Just throw that in. Go ahead, back to basketball. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, you know what what emotion from Hurley? I know I know Rusty. You give him a hard time, and uh, and I, da- uh, Darren and I we 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 participated in that as well. But uh, I mean, you know, coaches don't get here without working hard, and 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 he's worked yeah. hard to build something. So so good for him. And, and I, you know, I, like you said, I give him a hard time. Uh, if 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 he was my coach, I would love him to death. Right. I would eat him up, man. He because he's got that passion. He's got that energy. He's got that. Where he 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 loves the game, uh, he loves his players. He expects the most out of his players, and of course, coaches do those things. But but his energy level is just, and his I think his his uh, uh, what I call his give a crap level. It doesn't yeah. seem to be that high. He doesn't really care what anybody else seems to think about him. He's just his own man. Yeah, and, and he coaches his game. And just a cool kind of little side note. It was really cool toward the end of the game when they they cleared the bench to see him even before he got on the court to see him hug his son. Mm-hmm. As he, you know, how cool of a moment must that be uh, that you're you're at the top of your game as a coach, you're winning a national championship, you've had the run that you've had, and now you get to to call a timeout, and one of the people you send to the game is is your own son. That's that's a pretty cool moment. Yep. Well, it wasn't quite a 20-point victory, but it wound up being 17. UConn wins 76-59. to This concludes the uh, college basketball season, and guys, uh, this has been a good one. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Rusty, a.k.a. the Villanova guy, thanks for joining us throughout this journey through March Madness. Uh, we really, really enjoy having you come on this time of year. Well, the pleasure is definitely mine. I really appreciate y'all inviting me on, and uh, um, I will look for the check in the mail um, for the uh, for the, the the participation trophy or whatever it was. <laughs> we Just, will continue to pay you in koozies. Yeah. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> Speaking of checks in the mail, the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast is still looking for a sponsor. That's so right. And uh, every every podcast, I drink a Dr. Pepper Zero. Dr. Pepper, you That's listening? Right. It, That's right. We're not asking for much. Right. No, no, no. I guarantee you'd be an easy load. <laughs> and then if you drink too many of those, then the Libman Mop. Uh, <laughs> sponsor. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Darren, it's been fun. We're going to sign off. Thanks everybody for listening. Remember new episodes drop every Tuesday at 6 a.m. You can listen whatever time you want to. If you stayed up too late watching the game, like we did, you might want to listen a little bit later. You're, you're going to get these jokes. If you yeah. listen, if you wait till about 11 o'clock, man, they're really going to hit. You're gonna- Check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating when you listen, listen to us and, 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 and share the episodes Uh, That helps us uh, get more of a footprint out there, and and we appreciate that support. So until next next Tuesday, y'all take care. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you for making the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast your go-to sports show. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show if you haven't already. Your feedback is important. 
Let us know what you think about this week's show. Send an email to brewandchavers at gmail.com or text to our text line, 318-390-3599. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. See you next week.